Welcome to Rough Stampede Radio. Voice that I always enjoy having in my locker room, as weird as that may sound. <laughs> of course, it's Adam Munster's time. But you can't put that kind of pressure on your team. The fan base was so sick of hearing Dan, reading Dan Hoffman's quotes, listening to Dan Hoffman's audio, and we've got a job to do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to Buff Stampede Radio. We've got a special broadcast for you guys this week, and it's a little bit of a change-up from our normal let's agree and get along with everything because this week it is competition. Yeah. We're basically going to steal the – and I'm willing to admit we're like flat-out stealing the format from this ESPN. Is theft. This is theft. This is theft. But, you know, ESPN, they can pretty much print their own money, so I think we're okay with this. The show Around the Horn, I'm sure you guys have all watched that show. And, you know, they talk about everything national for this episode though obviously we're just going to be talking CU and not yep. just CU we're going to be talking CU men's basketball seven games into the season I think we have seen enough basketball from Tad Boyle squad to really put some topics on the board and have Ryan Konigsberg Will Whalen and Tyler Ziskin our fan correspondent really weigh these different you know topics on, and I think I'm going to enjoy being the moderator here because I'm not because you can't to, lose as the moderator well, if somebody uh, shanks me in the parking lot after, <laughs> after this show. <laughs> we're not competitive enough to do that, are we? <laughs> well, we are coming to you from the Blake Street Tavern, and this is a great setting for this show, uh, a round table, basically. And I, I've laid out the topics. I've let these guys know what we're going to talk about today. So I know they're all prepared. Oh, yeah. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I did more research for this than I do for most tests in school. Yeah, there's, that doesn't surprise me. There's nothing I like more than arguing with Will, so it should be fun. Good. We always get along. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear the noise here, but that right bit. there. Yeah, yeah, we can hear yeah, the yeah, points. Yeah. That is, uh, th- those are points, and I'm going to have to mark them myself because I'm going to give these guys points not based on what I believe, because obviously I have my own opinions about things, but based on how these guys yeah. really sell their points to me, and we're going to go through uh, the first word, then buy and sell, and then we're going to get into our first cut, and then really get down to the nitty-gritty here. Um, first off, and William, you're going to start in this round for, for us here. That's right. That's right. We're seven games like... What's that, Tyler? I said save the best for last. Okay. Give me a break, man. Give me a break. First topic of the show today. What grade would you give Tad Boyle's squad seven games into the season? And I want each of you guys to give your grade and then explain exactly why you give them that grade. Well, I think for this, for these first seven games, it's a, there are so many, obviously, negatives and positives that you take from a young season. And so with that, I, I go with a C-plus for this team right now because this team has had some ups and downs a little bit. They lost a winnable game in the first week, in the first game to Baylor on a neutral court. And, and yes, it was in Dallas, which is not a far drive from Wake or anything like that. But the reality is, is they looked very unremarkable in that loss. This was not a loss where they were in the game, the whole game, and Baylor pulled away late. No, much of the second half, Baylor's lead fluctuated between 6 and 14 points. So this was not exactly a game that CU was necessarily in for much of the second half. And so, and, and Baylor hasn't exactly looked like world beaters since then, uh, barely being a couple mediocre or even worse teams 
as the year has gone on a little bit. Then they struggle with two teams in Wyoming and UC Santa Barbara. Now, Wyoming is kind of a local foe. Those guys are going to come at CU every time they play. And Santa Barbara has some players. But Santa Barbara was without their main player, their main scorer, a guy in Allen Williams who averaged 24 and 13. Is there a time limit on this guy? Jeez. (laughs) Are are you kidding me right now? Ryan, that's a negative point right there. Yeah, exactly. We're getting into time limits later, but right now it's it's go as you may. And so I'll the, cut you off. I am the moderator here. Yeah, all right, all right. Let all right. him moderate. I think you're moderating. It's been a little soft. So okay, okay. Here we go. So <laughs> with what? Can we, can we go? Can we Ryan's go to the first? Can, can we go to the first cut already? Is that <laughs> so? Wyoming, Santa Barbara. They struggle with two teams that, frankly, are are not tournament teams. Now, Santa Barbara's going to compete in their conference, but Wyoming isn't expected to do a whole lot. In the Mountain West. Now, on the positive side, they're 6-1. and one. Uh, Josh Scott and Wesley Gordon have, have I think, formed a, a pretty formidable front court. A guy like Spencer Dinwiddie has had his moments, but he hasn't played bad so far. He's not turning the ball over. And each freshman on this team that many thought would contribute have had their individual moments. So there are definitely some positive things uh, individually as you look at this team. And, of course, a big win over Harvard is nice. But even in that game, they were outplayed for 33 minutes of that game. And so the reality is Colorado has yet to put together two halves of good basketball. And so for me, that's very hard to get into the B range, but they're 6-1, and one, so you got to give them a, at least a C plus. All right, Ryan, what you got for me? Are we sure there's any time left in the show? <laughs> good now, now that we're done with Will's, Will Stampede Radio, um, <laughs> I'm going to give them a C. I'm going to give them a C. I think they're, that's C, you know, is average. If you ask a teacher, they say, you know, if you want to get a B or an A, you got to go above and beyond the expectations. Well, CU hasn't really gone above and beyond any expectations. In fact, they're exactly where most of us thought they would be at this point. So, you know, that to me, that's a C. You know, they, they lose to a good Baylor team, and that's on a neutral court, and they beat a, a good Harvard team uh, on their home court. I guess those kind of, you know, balance each other out a little bit. But then everything else in the middle, you know, they're supposed to be those teams. Um, you could almost knock them a little bit for how they played against Wyoming. And, you know, their, their three-point perimeter defense has been so bad. But in the end, I think they're, they're right where we thought they'd be at this point in the season. So that's, to me, that's a C. Tyler, what you got for me? All right, I actually have surprisingly the highest grade. I have them as a B minus, and there's a few reasons for that. I think 6-1 and one is chalk. I have a little bit of a definition of average, as Ryan showed over there. I think, a, you know, a B minus is you're certainly not overwhelming anybody with your performance or anything like that. But at the end of the day, you have one loss. You don't have any bad losses on your resume. And I think the big thing that they haven't talked about yet is the fact that the, the, the schedule is going to end up being a lot stronger than I think a lot of us had at the beginning of the year in terms of quality of opponents. Wyoming, we thought, was going to have a big drop-off, and certainly they're going to be not um, as good as they were last year when Luke Martinez was around. But, you know, they started off pretty well, and I think, you know, they're gonna, their RPI is going to be, you know, fairly comfortable as, in terms of a non-conference opponent. UCSB has proven to be a very, you know, a valuable win as well, um, even though we got them without Allen Williams. Anytime you, see, you have a team on your schedule that's taken out, a team like UNLV on the road is going to go, vote for, well for you down the year. And, uh, I mean, I just, the Baylor game was honestly super disappointing. Like Will mentioned, they didn't really compete in that game, so that's definitely a disappointment. But at the end of the day, you know, sitting at six and one, you certainly didn't hurt your case as far as from a resume perspective. So we're getting we're getting better. I think Harvard 
we kind of showed we re- we've really grown as a team overall, and we're making some strides now as we get into the deeper part of the schedule. All right, topic two here is Sports Illustrated, Seth Davis, and a member of our own beat media, Brian Howell, who uh, accompanies me up on the, the final row of pe- press row. Both those guys have Colorado in their top 25 poll right now. Does C really deserve to be in the top 25 at this point, though, after seven games? Ryan, we're going to start with you this round. Um, I, I say absolutely not, and to me, really, it's not even that close. Um, I, I think they started in, in kind of the 27 range, and you know they lost to Baylor. That's going to knock them back a little bit. And then, uh, like I said, you know, in the last segment, a good win against Harvard that kind of brings you back to where you were. And then those middle games, you know, all the teams out there right now are playing pretty weak schedules. You know, getting working out the kinks. I think you got to look to style points when you're looking at those games. And when that, I look to stats. You know. CU's uh, 119th in the country in points per game. They're 87th in the country in rebounds per game. They're 135th in the country in assists per game. You compare that with a school like Iowa, who you know they're competing for these votes with. I think Iowa just cracked into the top 25. Iowa's top 20, actually. <clears throat> no, they're 23. Whatever, bro. You're wrong. Submit, <laughs> subtract a point for that. Um, you know that Iowa is seventh in points per game. They're sixth in rebounds per game, and they're 15th in assists per game. You look like they're absolutely destroying those teams that, you know, like UT Martin that, that CU's played. They're putting up hundreds of, the, you know, over 100 points. Um, that's the that's kind of the tiebreaker for me when you're looking at these, you know, lo, uh, low-quality non-conference opponents, and CU hasn't been impressive enough in those games. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree 100%. I mean, I, there's no way you could tell me right now that Colorado's a top 25 program. I mean, if you ask me the question – at what point this year have they played like a top 25 team? The answer is the second half against Harvard, and that's it. That, you know that doesn't get you that doesn't get you enough respect from around the country to say, yeah, you guys are going to earn my top 25 vote. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing at this point in the year, though. Um, you know, it's the expectations are probably a little high. Tad Boyle said that a couple times, and you know, it, it just they don't deserve to be ranked right now, and I think that. You know, obviously, a lot of people weren't watching that game against Harvard on Sunday, which hurt us a little bit in the polls, I think. But, you know, you look at the teams that are ranked right now, a lot of them in the, you know, the 20 to 25 range certainly don't have a great resume. But I'm not willing to say CU deserves to be ranked because Iowa hasn't played anybody good yet. Or, you know, like some of these teams, like VCU has a couple bad losses, but they're playing good teams too. And I think if you watch VCU on the court, it's a talented team. I'm sure they have a couple losses, but I'm not willing to say that team is absolutely worse than Colorado is right now. I think when you look at Colorado in terms of the top 25, you you have to with the top 25 poll this early in the year, you really have to factor starting position in. And so you started outside, meaning they were going to have to do something, uh, sig- not necessarily significant, but they were going to need to do something to get into the poll, and somebody in the poll was going to need to do something to get out of the poll. And you've seen a number of teams drop out already and, and two teams that I look at that are right now in the poll that I think should not be in there whatsoever are Michigan and Marquette those two teams are in the bottom uh, bottom part of the top 25 and have no business being in that poll based on losses that they've suffered and the eye test that they just don't look that good right now and then when you have New Mexico and VCU the reality is is this the poll right now is not a measure of who the best teams in the country are and that's important to remember the poll right now is who is not losing early in the year? Who is doing enough to still be considered? That's that's how the poll works right now. 
As the year goes on, that'll change. So New Mexico and VCU, they just haven't won enough games, the games that are in front of them, to stay in real consideration for that spot. So what you're left with for Colorado is deciding between the bus versus Virginia, Florida State, Arizona State, Indiana, and Belmont. I mean, those are really the teams that CU, all those teams are in front of CU in the others receiving votes category. You have to decide, is CU, should CU be above those guys? Against Virginia, I mean, that's a little tough. Uh, they did lose to BCU on their home floor, so that does discount something for me. Then you look at Florida State. Florida State's got some nice wins, but the eye test doesn't tell you much about them. Arizona State, again, who are the Sun Devils playing? Uh, Jahi Carson obviously looks excellent, so I wouldn't necessarily put CU above them. And then you get to Indiana and Belmont, two teams that have wins, two teams that have not blown a game on a neutral court against a, you know, really a, a team at Baylor that should be anywhere from 20 to 25 in the poll. So in the end, I would lean towards no for Colorado being a top 25 team. But since they stack up so favorably with the teams that they're kind of competing with for those spots... I mean, not only could you see them move in as soon as next week, but they really should be higher on the votes, others receiving votes category than they are right now. Good stuff, guys. And uh, next up, this is topic three for this first word segment that we're doing here. What have you thought about Tad Boyle's rotation and his situation pattern so far this season? If you put yourself in Tad Boyle's shoes and you're the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, and apparently, as Tad Boyle said yesterday, he kind of defers to his assistants at, time, at times. But if this is your call, how would you better utilize CU's personnel? Tyler, we're going to start with you in this round, and then we're going to go to Will and then Ryan. Yeah, this is one of my favorite subjects on Twitter. I know this is a point of frustration for me and a lot of other people in the fan base as well. And it just seems like it's its not even – sometimes it's about the players, but sometimes it's about the timing, too. I can't tell you how many games we've been in this year where we you know, we make a run, we're up to a 10-point lead, and we can put one of these cupcake guys in our schedule away. And the next thing you know, we have four freshmen in the game. You know, We have nobody who's able to create their own shot. And the next thing you know, the game is back down to four or five, and you just can't put teams away. I mean, you can get these freshman minutes when we're up 20. When Spencer Dinwiddie has done what he needs to do in the first 30 minutes of the game – and, you know, get these guys minutes. You're not – just because the game is not over yet doesn't make it more value. I mean, you're playing the same roster in, in you, you know, UT Martin as you were in the first half of the second half. You, you don't need to keep these guys in the game this early in the year. And, I mean, the, the perfect example for me is against Harvard, uh, you know, on Sunday. We, ha- we, have, we have the lead down to, to uh, five points. We're making a huge run in the second half. And the next thing you know, we have Jerron Hopkins, Xavier Talton, uh, Wesley Gordon, Dustin Thomas, and Trey Fletcher on the court. You know, and that sounds awful to say out loud. <laughs> and the reason is because you have Spencer Dinwiddie, Josh Scott, Xavier Johnson, and Askia Booker all on the bench at one time. You're not going to score points in that lineup. And when you're losing, you have to score points to get back in the game. I just don't see any stretch of a game where we should have that lineup on the floor. I don't see any stretch of the game where we where we have two of those guys, have, two of the guys that I mentioned that were on the bench, have to be in the game at all times. You know, you can get these guys minutes with veterans on the court. And, you know, there's no way we have that lineup ever, and it's going to be successful for Colorado. I have absolutely no problem with Dad Boyle's rotations right now. And I will tell you why. The reality is, is that at the end of the year, after you're done with your conference tournament, and you're competing for a berth into the NCAA tournament, there's one thing that matters, and it's resume. 
And on that resume, there are two things that matters. Wins, good wins, bad losses. It's not about bad wins. They don't care about bad wins. Now, that factors into the RPI a little bit. But the reality is is that if you beat UT Martin by two, the reality is is that you did not hurt your resume. Your resume. You may hurt your perception in the polls and all that, but you didn't hurt your resume. And right now, Tad Boyle has a young team. He talked all preseason about the inexperience on this team. He needed, he wanted and he needed to get these young guys reps, to get them minutes in live game situations, running their own stuff, running the offense, running defenses. And, and on Sunday, it's a, it's, it's a ballsy move, frankly, to put those guys in the, in the game in that kind of situation. But the reality is, Tad Boyle needs those guys to get minutes in situations where they've got to make plays on their own where they can't defer to their veterans on the team. Because late in the year, against Arizona State, against UCLA, against Oregon, against Arizona, those guys are going to have to play big minutes for this team. And Tad Boyle wants them prepared now. And the reality is, is up to now, the schedule has allowed them to play those minutes. And the team has avoided the bad losses, which is all that matters, really, in in this kind of non-conference schedule up to this point. Now, how would I change it? I mean, the reality is, is that You've got to kind of look at a guy like Trayshawn Fletcher and love the defense that he brings to your team. He's shown some ability to knock down shots from outside. So I, I think he need, he's a guy that needs to see more minutes on this team as they go forward, specifically in lineups with Spencer Dinwiddie, with Eskia Booker even, where he can kind of play off the ball, get posted up in that corner on offense and be able to hit corner threes. That's the main adjustment that I would say in terms of, you know, hit somebody seeing more or less minutes. But, the, but at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Tad Boyle knew he could get away with it, and up to this point, he has. And there's not a lot of point times over the, his career in Boulder where he's put those lineups in and it's cost him a game. We constantly talked about last year his lineups at the end of the first half where he would have Shane Harris, Dunks, Jeremy Adams, those kind of guys in the games without his main scores. And I can't remember off the top of my head a single one of those games where they lost it because of that line. He has a masterful feel for his guys' conditioning, for his guys' momentum, and the reality is is that he's proving everybody wrong that questions his rotations because it hasn't come back to bite him. Well, I think it came really close to coming back to bite him yesterday. I I mean, it cost himself a lot of momentum. Obviously, they found it later. But first of all, I I disagree with your statement that those guys are going to have to play Big time minutes late in the game in the year. Yeah, they are. One or two of them might be in. That lineup is not going to be, you know, needed against Arizona late in late in the season. It's just those. That's not. That's just not going to happen. But <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna give Tad a pass on that. Um, I think everyone makes a mistake here and there, and if I make a mistake, you guys get to edit it out. So I'm gonna edit that one out for Tad. Um, the the one thing I would change though is that. I don't think I don't think George King is getting enough minutes. Um, I would love to see the, the regular starting lineup, and you switch out George King for Xavier Johnson. Obviously, not in the starting lineup, but sometime in the game, I want to see Spencer Dinwiddie, Eski Booker, George King, Wesley Gordon, Josh Scott on the floor. Um, the George King is re- rebounding at a ridiculous rate right now. Um, Andre Robertson, Andre Robertson as a freshman which is kind of the only time where it's fair to compare him because he was getting limited minutes. He was averaging .34 rebounds a game, or per minute, sorry, .34 rebounds per minute. 
you look at George King this year, .37 rebounds per minute. We remember Andre Robertson as a freshman. He was ridiculous at rebounding. He was getting 22 minutes a game. George King isn't getting anywhere near that right now. But if he was, the stats show that he would be producing more rebounds than Andre Robertson was his freshman year. I want to see George King a lot more on the floor, and I think that he is the one that can have that, that big impact uh, as a freshman. All right, so we're through the first round here, and I'm tallying up uh, the, the score so far. We're sports writers. Math is not our strong suit here. Okay, so I got Tyler right now with 16 points. I got William with 20, but he lost a point for interrupting Ryan, so he's down to uh, 19. <laughs> and uh, Ryan is at 15, but he lost two from earlier on for interrupting. So <laughs> he's down at 13. <laughs> so, so 19, 16... 13? Survival. Uh, Tyler's at 16, William's at 19, Ryan's at 13. I think Ryan's going to come back, have a nice oh. comeback here oh, in, wow. in the buyer cell. You ready, Ryan? Yes, I'm ready. I, I, I regret <laughs> interrupting. <laughs> this is sorry, our sir. This is our trial run with you around the horn. So now going forward, the moderator basically uh, has kind of set the tone here. Topic one for buy or sell. Askia Booker is shooting the basketball too much. Tyler, then William, then Ryan. All right, I'm going to buy this, but I'm going to buy it low. And here's why. I think I think, I think uh, there, are pe- there are definitely people being overly critical of Askia's play lately. Uh, yeah, he's taking the most shots on the team. No one can argue that. All you have to do is look at the stats. However, last night he also had the most assists on the team and had a 3-to-1 turnover ratio something that I think anybody should be able to live with from a skia who can be turnover prone at times for sure. Um, Spencer's numbers look a little less impressive because he gets to the foul line so much. So I think, you know, a lot of the time his field goal attempts is kind of a flawed stat because he's obviously taking those attempts, but he's getting fouled into the line. And, you know, obviously he started off the second half atrocious yesterday, took a couple bad shots, and, and it's a skia, you know, he's always going to have those up and down moments. But... You know, he also went to the basket attacked hard in several crucial moments of that Harvard game last night. And uh, I thought really attacked the rim and got the tempo back going in the game the way that we needed. He was pushing the ball. And, you know, his play um, at times definitely helped us and got us back in the game. I'm going to sell this. I was originally planning on buying it, buying it low as well, but I'm selling. And the reality is this. is Like you said, on the stat sheet, Askia Booker has taken 25 more attempts from the field than Dinwiddie, five more tray balls. But yeah, Dinwiddie's getting to the line at a much, much higher rate than Askia Booker is. And here's the thing, you want to be critical of Askia Booker's play, I'm fine with that. But if it's about the volume of shots he's taking, I completely disagree. With Askia, it's more about quality than quantity. I I got some stats here for you. 28.9% of Askia Booker's shots are at the rim. Now we all agree. His finishing has improved light years from the past two years this year. He's finishing at the rim at a much higher rate. In fact, he is shooting 68% from the field at the rim. I mean, for a little guy, that's extremely impressive. But where where he gets misguided a little bit, and, and in fact, about that number, he's shooting uh, more than 20% better than Dinwiddie is at the rim. And so Booker is a guy that is extremely capable when he goes to the rim. And so if he's doing that six times a game, you got no issue. Where he struggles a little bit is the fact that 32% of his shots are long two-point jumpers, whereas 
38% of his shots are actually threes. So you count that as looking. Reality is he's not taking that much more threes than he is long contested pull-ups uh, inside the arc, which is not a, a high percentage shot for many people in college basketball. In fact, he's shooting just 28% on those shots. So it's not, again, it's not that he's shooting too much. It's that the shots he is taking are not the ones he is most efficient at. So if, if you can get a guy like Booker going to the rim, not only are you going to see his field goal or free throw percentage tick up, because he's only getting to the line on a, a just under 33% of his shots, whereas Dinwiddie gets to the line at over a 100% rate, given that he gets fouled on the ball so much. If you can get Booker to be much more aggressive to the hoop, and he's taking 15 per attempts per game, I think that's absolutely something that you've got to live with. Uh, I'm, I'm buying this, but you, you just sold it for the same reason that I'm buying it. He, it's because he's he, the reason he's taking too many shots is because he's taking all those outside jumpers. You know, he he's he's taking 25 more shots than Spencer Dinwiddie. You take out 25 of those long twos, which he's probably shot and shot that many this year, then he's probably shooting one of the highest percentages on the team. The problem is he's he is taking too many shots because he's taking those shots. You know. You, uh, you you look at he has 25 more attempts than Spencer Dinwiddie. He also has 25 less points than Spencer Dinwiddie on the season. That's That shouldn't happen. You know He should have at least 30, 40 more points than Whoa. Spencer Dinwiddie taking that many more attempts. So to me, that, that is a telltale sign that he is, he's taking too many shots. If he starts getting to the rim and he, he takes those many shots around the rim, or you know wide open threes, which he should be able to make make that he hasn't knocked down. Then yes, I'm I'm okay with that. But the quality of the shots is why he's taking too many shots this season. I think. Can I retort, moderator? For no points, I'll retort also. No, never mind. If it's for no <laughs> points, I don't want to retort. We're done with this round, okay. uh, this topic. So go ahead and. Uh, well, what I what I was just going to say is that the reality is is field goal attempts to total points scored is not a stat that you could base any argument on. Because the reality is, is that Spencer Dinwiddie is shooting extremely efficiently from the free, free throw line. And many of those free throws are coming not on field goal attempts, on the fact that he's getting fouled late in games. And in general, the way he creates uh, contact in the open court by driving into his defender, he gets so many opportunities at the free throw line. Once the other team is in the bone, it has fouled more than seven times, that he, he doesn't need to take the shots to get those points. And so when you look at Booker... He's not a primary ball handler. Dinwiddie is. Booker doesn't get the ball late game in foul situations. Dinwiddie does. But, and so that's why that stat really in this conversation doesn't mean anything. But you're missing what my point is. Those those 25 extra shots that he's taken over Dinwiddie should at least have created him 30 points, which would have put him ahead of Dinwiddie in scoring this year. Yeah, I, I, think I, I don't I think know if that's true. I think it's unfair to expect a ski at Booker to be as efficient as Spencer Dinwiddie. They're just not the same kind of player. They're not the same type of player. Spencer Dinwiddie he's one of the most efficient players in the country, and it has a lot to do with how he plays. And he's much bigger than Eskia, so he can handle contact better. He is a primary ball handler, and so he's going to get more free throw opportunities, and he can go into the rim and attack on bigger guys because of his size. Eskia's never going to be that guy. It's unfair for for him to be measured by Spencer's efficiency because that's impossible. He's never going to be that efficient as a player. we got to move on, I'm assuming. That's good stuff. None of those points for whatever happened after that point really are going to count towards you because we got to stay within the limits here. 
topic two, and then we got to make a cut, guys. We got a close race going. Yeah. So this last topic before the first cut is the Buffs will continue to struggle with their perimeter defense the rest of the season. Dot dot dot. Ryan, start us off. Uh, I I say that uh, I'm selling that. That's not going to happen. You look at the beginning uh, uh, of last season. We'll use last season as an example. They give up 13 threes to Wofford. They give up 12 threes to Air Force. And they give up 12 threes to Texas Southern. That is arguably worse than what has happened to them this far this, thus far this year. They gave up 12 to, to Tennessee Martin. They gave up 11 to UCSB. And the next highest is 7. Obviously, last year, they got it figured out. You know, um, in, in conference play, I think they only allowed teams to shoot 33.8% from the three-point line, which you can live with from out there. So uh, there's something about the early season when it comes to uh, Tad Boyle teams. They do not defend the three well against those you know, small-time teams because I think they're you know, uh, originally okay with those teams taking long jump shots. You know, they, they, they want other teams to, to live and dive by the three. And as you see, the, those teams ended up dying by the three. So I think um, they're going to get it figured out, and I think that teams aren't going to end up shooting as many threes against them as these teams that have to come in and they think you know, we're going to have to knock down a bunch of threes to win these games. So... I, I, I'm not, uh, I guess per se, worried about this team when it comes to three-point defense because they've shown in the past they start off slow and they figure it out eventually. I, I've been really torn on this because on one hand I want to sell, uh, you know, because the reality is is that as the season goes on, you're right, you're not going to have teams that are coming into Boulder or, or hosting Colorado that have to shoot from three to score on them. Seagull's going to start going against some teams that have as much or more size than them inside and want to go inside. Arizona's going to want to go inside on Colorado. UCLA is going to want to go inside on Colorado and see if they can wear them down with their front court. A team like Cal is probably going to play from the outside a lot. And obviously there are more Pac-12 schools that will as well, but you're going to see that balance out a little bit. So statistically, I think that CU's perimeter defense will improve. But here's why I am buying this, for this reason. Because C was also going to face better guards. And statistics aren't the only thing in basketball. Because the reality is statistics can tell any story that you want them to tell. I mean, just look at our last discussion. Using the same stat, and we had two different storylines from it, and both had their own merit. The reality is that when you're going against Jahee Carson, and you're going against guys like Justin Cobb, C.J. Wilcox, uh, Joseph Young, at Oregon, like all these players that they're going to face as the year goes on, they are going to get hurt from the outside much more and in different ways than they have so far this year because of one thing, fouls. The new foul rule is really going to make this team, because all of a sudden, this team has played pretty soft on the perimeter this far. And they've learned that, oh, they, they might even be able to get a little bit more physical than they thought. That playing style, that ada- uh, adaption that they have made, will then hurt them come conference play when Spencer Dinwiddie or Eskia Booker has to stay in front of G.E. Carson or somebody has to trail Joseph Young around picks when he's running along the baseline. Guys like that, C.J. Wilcox, any number of other guys in this league, that's going to start to hurt this team. And so when you look defensively at an area where I think this team does struggle going forward, it is on the perimeter. Yeah, I think for me, I'm much more convinced that, yes, absolutely, I'm buying it. They are going to continue to struggle on the, on the perimeter defensively. 
Will talked about just a little bit, but just this, the strength of the guards we're going to be playing as we get through the deeper part of the schedule. Are you know, it's going to be so much. They find ways to hurt you by penetrating. They're going to find somebody else to open three. And we have guys on the perimeter that just gamble way too much on defense. I mean, you could see it's not even the issue that we're giving up threes right now. It's how we're giving them up. They're wide open. You know, there was, there was, there was a stretch throughout the second half of the Harvard game last night where they missed several wide open threes that, you know, we weren't even guarding them. And we just have too many mental lapses on the perimeter, and that's going to kill us when we play teams that are good enough to beat you. You know, it's, it's not as big of a deal when UT Martin goes off for 10 threes and you still win comfortably. But if we do make these mental lapses, you know, as we get into the schedule of Arizona, Oregon, and we give up 10 open threes a game, they're going to kill us. And, you know, we're not going to have the, the benefit of a 10-point cushion as we go down the stretch. You know, those are, the, those are going to be the shots that help teams beat us. And unless we have guys like Xavier Johnson, Skia Booker, and Xavier Talton, you know, be more consistent defensively on the perimeter, not take so many gambles, and, and you know keep their mental focus and make sure that they're running around with these guys and not giving any open looks. You know the one thing that you see on this team a lot is nobody puts their hands up on a three. Like you're not guarding somebody if you don't have a hand in the space from the perimeter, and it's going to be a consistent issue just because of the personnel we have on the perimeter defensively. All right, so we're down to uh, we're ready for the first cut. Uh, five points for Tyler in that last round. Uh, adding up is 26. Well, was not planning for this. Ryan and Tyler are both at 26. Williams at 31. What's a good way to settle the tiebreaker here? Rock, paper, scissors. No, I, I, yeah. I, think, I think ultimately for the tiebreaker, we got to come up with something based on what. what let's. A one sentence response. I mean, you guys. You guys. Question. Yeah, yeah. Come up with a one, one, sen- one question. About this team that these guys got to answer in one sentence. In one sentence. I don't want to steal something that we're already uh, going to talk about here, here. You got anything, Will? Yeah. I, Go yeah, for I it, I think Will. I do. I think the questions that I want to ask you guys. This win over Harvard on Sunday will be the only good win for this team resume-wise in the out-of-conference schedule come March. I'll buy that. I don't think we're going to beat Oklahoma State. You watch how they play, you know, in, in the games over on out-of-conference. They're going to crush us. Um, I only really need two words, and it's just a name. That name is Travis Ford, and he will find a way to lose to a good coach in Tad Boyle in Vegas, CU leaves that arena with a victory. He knows who he's talking to right now. Yeah, exactly. But you're the moderator. I'm going to have to go Tyler on that because I felt like you were fishing uh, for that. No, because I knew you were the moderator. <laughs> That's fine, though. So there's a quality fish. So Tyler advances. <laughs> I'll go get a beer. <laughs> Tyler this advances. This reinforces why I don't study for tests. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Good job, Tyler. Hey. Way to bring it. Good job. Good job, everybody. So we are on now. We've only got two contestants going on to the lightning round. That's right. And basically, you guys only have a minute now. Okay. So the pressure's on. you gotta, you got to spit out the words really quick here. And we got three topics in this round. Will, since you led the, uh, the earlier rounds and right now have 31 points, you're going to go first here. And topic one is... Do the Buffaloes go as Spencer 
Dinwiddie goes. Go. I believe they do, and this is the reason why. Colorado does not need Spencer Dinwiddie to average 20 points to be a good team. What they need him to do is pick his spots like he did yesterday. The reality was is his 17 points were an efficient 17 points. He was deferring. He was playing uh, defense. He was rebounding. He has to be the best player on the floor, but he doesn't have to do it by just going attack, attack, attack. For him, I think he needs to knock down a few threes every every game. I think he needs to grab four or more rebounds every game. If he can tally two or more assists every game as well while keeping his turnovers low, I think that helps as well. But the reality is this team is 6-1 and one, with him really not having a game where he just goes off on somebody. His 24 points the other night were the result of 14 free throws. If he can get to the line, and he will against Pac-12 opponents, not only will he give them a scoring threat, but he'll also give them a way to wear down opposing defenses and get star players into some foul trouble. And that's your timer right there. Yeah. You, like, almost timed that perfectly. Good job, Will. And, Tyler, you're up starting now. Uh, I think this is a great topic discussion because I completely disagree, and it's almost he almost um, used my argument for me. He hasn't played well, and they're still 6-1. and one. A lot of those stats he rattled off that he, that he wants them to do every single game, he hasn't done, and we're still 6-1. and one. I think you can, rely, you can rely on Spencer Dinwiddie to put up good numbers in almost every single game. You know, because of his efficiency at the free throw line, even if he's not playing well, he's going to score points for Colorado and keep them in games. I, I think we rely more heavily on other people to you know, help him out and make the game. You know, make, we have to have second, third options. Um, especially Askia, I think when, when he plays well, this team is really impossible to beat. Um, when he's when he's efficient and not making turnovers, we're really tough to beat. And I think the same thing with Josh Scott. When he's getting the ball down low, when he's efficient, getting to the free throw line, I think there's you know if those two guys are going off, there's no way you know we could beat pretty much anybody in the country at home. Okay, so Will was making a lot of motions throughout this. I was going to give you a negative point, but you brought up Josh Scott, which is, was not the question there, so it evens out. So, right now... And I didn't talk. I didn't interrupt him. You were very, very... Demonstrative. Why were the technical? Because. That's, that's a good point. If I was a referee, I would have teed your ass up. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, topic two. Which true freshman has the highest ceiling for his college career? I think for this one... Oh, no, no, no. We're going to switch it off. Tyler's oh, going to go okay, first. okay, okay, okay. Go ahead. Uh, I think for me, it's Sharon Hopkins. Uh, his physical abilities make him really difficult to guard. Um, if he can improve his handle and um, you know improve defensively, he's got all the length that you would want to see in an efficient defensive player. Um, he's going to get a lot of steals in his career. And I think he's really effective off the ball uh, playing with Spencer. If we can find another point guard to keep him off the, you know, as a point guard position, he's going to do a lot of things for Colorado. He's going to be a four-year guy. But I think he's he's going to fill up the stat sheet the most in a lot of variety of ways, you know, compared to the other freshmen that we have right now. And he's been the most consistent so far early on in this season, and I see that translating to his career. He didn't even need the full minute. Nope. He didn't. I'm, I'm bummed I didn't get to use this one because I, I had a great I had a great argument for George. You know, Cain. we don't have a time limit on this, Ryan. I feel bad for having to kick you <laughs> off. Go ahead. No, no. Will go. Will go, and then you can go. Okay. All right, Will, starting now. I think the only answer to this, well, not the only answer, but my answer is Trayshawn Fletcher. And, and it circles around one thing. The reality is is he's already almost there on defense. 
He's a he's a pretty darn good on-ball defender. He's coming around in terms of his help side responsibilities. He's a better he's he's improving as a rebounder. I don't think he's really showed his true abilities in that way yet. You know, he, he's not quite as athletic as Jerron Hopkins, but I think a lot of people undervalued his athleticism coming into Colorado. And the reality is this: is with his ability to shoot. Once he gets his ball handling down, he is a legitimate six 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 seven shooting guard with athletic ability who can rebound, who can defend, and all those things. He doesn't have as much that needs to come together as Jerron Hopkins. Now, in terms of ceiling, what is their max potential with all those other things put together and the fact that I think he has it mentally, I like Trayshawn Fletcher because of his defensive prowess over Jerron Hopkins. All right, Ryan. Sure, you're, uh, sure I just want to just chime in real quick because I, I disagreed with both of these guys. I, I, I actually think George, George King, King has the uh, the highest ceiling of these guys. Um, he's the one guy that has shown me so far that he he can do a little bit of everything. You know, he he might be the not the sharpest in each one of those things, but he shows me that he has the ability to be a very very complete player. He can rebound. He showed that he can shoot. And something he said in one of the press conferences. Um, about how before the game he got a little confidence shooting it and that's what gave him the confidence to shoot the ball and knock it down. He's a little bit timid right now as a freshman. He needs that confidence. Once he you know, starts honing these skills and gets that confidence, I see him being a, a really, really good player for Tad Boyle and I, I think he pro- is going to have the best career out of any of those guys. Before we move on, i got to say myself personally, I think Dustin Thomas has the highest ceiling, not for the NF- NBA, but for college basketball in terms of being a confident shooter getting used to the college level, that tells you a lot about this freshman team, this freshman class that they have out there, is that the four of us could all disagree on that topic. I don't think, I mean, it's, it's hard to think of a time in the past when that would ever be a possibility. Yeah. So moving on to topic three. I think you like Dustin Thomas so much because his game is Paul Pierce-esque. I don't see Paul Pierce in <laughs> I, I don't either. I don't really, either. I'll say I, <laughs> not I, at all. Trayshawn Fletcher reminds me yeah, more of Pierce. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I would okay. say if I if the question was who will be the best freshman, I think the answer is Justin Thomas. But I think Jerron has the highest potential ceiling with his skills. Okay. I think that's a difference. Fair enough. Surprised you guys don't see any Paul Pierce in his game. None at all. No. Paul Pierce is way more He's a sneaky athletic. Sneaky athletic, Paul, Paul though. And so is Dustin. But he's, he's almost forty. Like when he was twenty, <laughs> he wasn't. He, he still was, was like he was. He was twenty. He was pretty, really good athlete. Yeah. All right. Topic three. Back on to see you here. Am I starting this round? Yeah. Will you're back. Back starting this round is how many losses will the Buffalo's interconference play with? For the listeners that aren't aware, they have played seven games. As I'm sure you've heard a little bit, they have six more to come. Yeah against Air Force, against Colorado State, against Elon, against Kansas, against Oklahoma State. Who am I? Georgia. And Georgia. So those are the games remaining before Pac-12 play starts. Will, let's uh, let's hear your response to this question. I think ultimately this team enters Pac-12 play with three losses. Um, I, I, I actually thought four was a legitimate possibility coming into the season, but the reality is this, is that I don't expect them to beat Kansas or Oklahoma State. Uh, so there's your three. Now the question is, can they avoid the bad loss? They haven't done that every year under Ted Boyle, and that's something that's kind of caught up with them at times, uh, especially come March when the committee looks at their resume. This year is a year that I think is different. I think this team, Air Force is down. Air Force is really down. 
compared to what they've been lately. They don't have a guy like Lions that they've had in the past few years who can put up 25 against CU on a night. So I look at that as a game they should win. CSU's atmosphere will be electric. It'll be absolutely electric. And Larry Eustachie is one of the best coaches in the country. The reality is this is an extremely down CSU team. Elon hasn't shown any flashes of everything. Georgia is a complete you know, disaster over there. They take care of business like they should and enter with three losses into conference play. All right, Tyler, go ahead. Yeah, I hate to do this, um, but I, I see three as well, but I'll take a little bit of a different approach on how we talk about this here. I, I think that Oklahoma State and Kansas are just too talented for this team right now at where we are in the season. So I'm going to look at CSU and Elon as two of the games that we can't lose. But as of right now, I'm certainly not ready to guarantee a win. You know, at CSU, the one, the one thing that I want to see is they aren't a good three-point shooting team at all. So if we can't guard them on the perimeter, it's really a negative sign as we go going forward. I mean, you look at Daniel Bejarano and John Octius, two guys that don't shoot more than 32% from three-point range, and those are really the guys that are shooting the threes for them on a consistent basis. So we really need to be able to shut them down, and it's going to be a huge concern for us if we can't do that. I mean, I think Elon was a great team last year, a 20-win team last year, and they're going to compete for their league again this year. And it's scary because it's sandwiched right in between Kansas and Oklahoma State. And, you know, if we struggle against those two teams, you know, against Kansas, obviously, first, are we going to be able to get back up for a game against an inferior opponent? Time's up. And so now we are at the end of this round. And uh, I'm tailing it up right now. William, you got 44 points at this point. And Tyler, you have 36. So. Crushed. We have uh, you final know, round though. Yeah, All we right. have Anything we have some happen. time left, and now actually, Tyler, you're not crushed because points are doubled in oh, this nice. round. Nice, a game. Let's do it. So we have two more topics before a winner of this whole around yep. the horn segment is done. And topic one, and there really is no time limit on this, but I mean, the points are doubled now. So, Will and Tyler, this is really down to the the nit and gritty here. And topic one is. CU was basically picked, you know, most by basically everybody to finish in the top three uh, of the conference. And I know our rivals poll, which was more scientific yeah. than others, was you know the, them to finish in the top two. But we'll go we'll go with the Pac-12 media poll that had them in the top three of the conference. Is this uh, you know a, a team that you feel like should still be picked to finish in the top three? You know, based off what you've seen through through seven games or. And I, and I want you guys to take into consideration what other teams have done in the Pac-12. Uh, we'll start with you, Tyler. Yeah, I think for me right now the answer is no, and it has a lot less to do with how we've been playing so far as, as much as it does with the other teams in the conference. You know, you start off with Arizona. They've proven that they're a legitimate national title contender. They're an extremely talented team. That's going to be a very difficult matchup for pretty much any single team they face up with every single week. Uh, I think UCLA has done what they needed to do thus far. And, you know, they're ranked ahead of us preseason. They certainly have a lot of talent. And, you know, they're, they're going to be a competitive force in the conference as well. And I, but I think the one team that's really impressed me the most so far is Oregon. You know, you never really know how they're going to come out with their transfers. And both Joseph Young, who's averaging 30 points a game for them, has put up huge numbers. And uh, Mike Mosier, who is a transfer from UNLV, has also been very productive for them so far this year. And so they're, they're getting the production from the transfers that you never really know you're going to see, um, you know, first time stepping on the court with a, with a, with a new team. So... I think for right now, there's no way you can have them any in the top three, Colorado in the top three, and they're going to have to step up their game if they want to compete with those three teams. Will? Yeah, well, for that top three finish, you were really looking at Arizona at the number one spot, and then two, three, four for a lot of people were Colorado, 
Oregon, and UCLA. Some kind of mixture of those. And I agree with Tyler that Oregon has definitely cemented themselves with the transfers and additions and the way that they've played as a top two team. The reality is that Young may be the best scorer in the conference, and they're playing like a top ten team right now. So then you start to look at how Colorado compares with UCLA. And I, I want to look at really two guys for UCLA that there were questions about coming into this year for one reason or another. They're getting a lot of production from Jordan Adams at 22.2 points per game. He's shooting extremely efficiently, 56% from the field, for a guy that is primarily a jump shooter. And he's also shooting 46% from beyond the arc. He's playing like a legitimate Pac-12 Player of the Year candidate. And then you look at a guy like Kyle Anderson. There were questions at point guard for this Bruins group. He's putting in 11.6 points, 9.8 rebounds, and 7.8 assists. He's near a triple-double per game average. And that's pretty incredible. So not only has UCLA not lost, but they've been pretty impressive on the way doing it. And, and of course, with Oregon playing the way they are, Arizona playing the way they are, and Colorado being somewhat uninspiring in their six wins at at least at some points, and for many of those games, for almost the whole game. I mean, other than the last seven minutes of Harvard, you could argue that this team really hasn't played very well in any of their wins. So you could look at that as a positive to say, oh, they haven't played well in their 6-1, or you could say, when put up against the other teams, if this were a power rankings, they're just not up to snuff right now, and I would not put them in my top three. Good stuff, and now we're on to our final topic of the day. Tyler, do you have your rally cap on right now? I got it. Because you're going to need it here. Snap back. I want to ask you guys. Like all the kids these days. I want to ask you guys what the ceiling is for this Colorado men's basketball program. And then on the flip side, what is the worst that could happen to this team based off what you've seen so far this year? And then I want you to explain what would it what would it take for them to achieve either, you know, the height or, or the low, you know, of, of basically failing to live up to expectations at this point? And, William, let's start with you. I think the ceiling of this team is a sweet 16 berth. The reality is this team does have talent. This team does have coaching. They do have length. They have athleticism. They have potential. They have a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie who can play at an All-American type level at times. So the potential is absolutely there for this team to make a run in March and finish among the top three in the Pac-12, maybe even as high as number one if something were to happen with Oregon as the year goes on, or even Arizona if something were to happen with them. Do I expect it? Not necessarily, but the ceiling certainly has to be considered right up there with those two on the top of the Pac-12 standings. Then you look at the, the floor that they have. I mean, when we were talking about if they're playing like a top three team, I listed off four teams right there, including Colorado. Then if you look at teams like uh, California, if you look at a Stanford, you know, you look at an Arizona State, that's three more teams. If Colorado doesn't outperform them, and, and you've got to consider those, th- those three teams have talent. Those three teams have potential. All of a sudden, you're looking at a number seven, number eight finish for this Colorado basketball team. I mean, it's not what I would consider realistic. But it, if it happened, would you color, color me? Like, do I think it's impossible? Absolutely not. This team has some dog in them sometimes, and they're inconsistent. And while I expect them to grow, if they don't, if they don't get better production out of a guy like Xavier Johnson as the year goes on, you could see this team legitimately miss the NCAA tournament, finish in the bottom half of the Pac-12 standings, and really have what many consider to be a disappointing year. Yeah, I think my ceiling and my floor are a little closer together. Um, As far as as the Pac-12 standings, I could see us finishing as high up as third. Um, 
I don't see us outperforming both UCLA and Oregon as the year goes on. And I, I see us having potential to make the Sweet 16 as well. I don't know how you couldn't after you watched that second half performance against Harvard, a team who's definitely considered to be you know, pretty much a mortal lock out of the Ivy League for the NCAA tournament. And they're going to win a lot of games this year. You know, they're going to beat a lot of teams if they play like that consistently. And all it takes is, you know, two great performances in one week, you know, and you're in the Sweet 16. So the, the potential is certainly there for this team. Yep, there's a lot of talent. Um, as far as the floor, I think I don't see any way that Arizona State, Stanford, um, Cal, and Washington all outperformance this year. I just don't think that's a realistic possibility. Could, could a couple of those teams? Sure, I could definitely see that happening. So I would say the ceiling as far as Pac-12 play is definitely more along like the sixth seed. I don't see any way we fall out of the top half of the Pac-12. And uh, as far as the NCAA tournament, I think you know if that happens, we're going to be you know, obviously the Pac-12 has improved this year, which helps us. So we're going to be on the bubble. I could see us getting left out as sixth in the Pac-12. I'm not sure nationally we, the, the conference has gotten enough respect to get six bids at this point in the, in the process. And so, um, you know, the NIT first or second seed would be probably the low point as far as that. And we could be in trouble if we, aren't, if we don't improve our perimeter defense and if we can't get more consistent production out, off, out of the bench. You know, we need some more pr consistent production from the bench and a, a little bit more... Uh, but, you know, like a guaranteed rotation, we need to have a, we need to be we need to be able to know you know who's going to play and who can rely on each single game as we close down the stretch. All right. Well, this is the end of our show here in terms of the debate. And William, I got you at sixty points, and Tyler, I got you at fifty six. So there William, you are the uh, champion of the inaugural around the horn show for Buff Stampede hey, Radio. I, how, how do you feel? I'm proud. I'm proud to be champion. I really am. I mean, I. Well, there are so many people I want to thank, you know, over the years that have helped me get to this point. I claim, but really, I think I mean, the system was corrupt. Yeah, I claim basketball editor bias. Yeah, assistant editor, <laughs> publisher. That okay, so I'm going to step in on. at this point on around the horn on ESPN. They give the winner FaceTime two minutes without being interrupted. Without. Thankfully, it's not actual FaceTime since Will won. Wow. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I, like, have negative points for the next time we do this? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> William, All right. go. My FaceTime, I, I don't know if I'll need a full two minutes, guys, but <clears throat> I want to recognize specifically the season ticket holders and, and the people that were at the basketball game on Sunday because the reality was is the Coors Event Center really had lacked much of an atmosphere from the student section, from the general uh, admission seats all around the arena, season ticket holder seats, I mean, the, the Coors Event Center was not a fun place to watch a basketball game through the first six games of this year, and five of them being at home. And whatever the reason was, whether it was bad timing, them battling the Broncos, weather, there was always an excuse. But on Sunday, finally there was an excuse to show how much fans showed up. The student section predictably didn't show up. Thanksgiving break, C was a large out-of-state student school. A lot of them had gone home. But the general public showed up on Sunday. They made that the best atmosphere that we've seen all year. And one of the best, frankly, one of the better atmospheres for the crowd size that we've seen in the last two years. Not certainly up to the level of certain games last year, like Arizona or a couple others. But the reality was, uh, the Boulder was a tough place to play for Harvard on Sunday. And I think it really showed in, in the reality of them not being able to communicate in the huddle, on defense, on offense, because of the amount of noise that was produced by the crowd. So hats off to the CU fans this past Sunday, and uh, way to show up. 
Well, congrats, Will. Now, Ryan, you were complaining over here. You felt like there was a bias. I'm going to give everybody a voice. They don't do this on ESPN's Around the Horn because it's a time limit, but we don't really have that. So, Ryan, I want you to tell me the one point you thought you made that was undervalued. Now, a second part to this, if you had a vote for Will or Tyler, you couldn't vote for yourself, who would you vote for based off their takes today? Who... Can you repeat that? Who I think should have went? Who who I think should have won? This just might be why you're the first guy today. <laughs> you got to be able to listen to questions to win the game, boy. I think that um, my most underrated point never even was a, a, allowed its full spotlight, and that was that George King has the uh, the highest ceiling of any of these players. Um, okay, would, that's enough. Uh, yes. Tyler, what about you? Let let Ryan. No, that's, that's, that's fine. And. Uh, <laughs> Then uh, I, th- I think that Tyler should have won. Um, of course he did. He, he just he looks better. He sounded better. Hater he alert. a lot cooler all around. Um, I like the way this is going. Let's keep it going. <laughs> he just had great takes all, all, yeah. all, all I like the whole day. All right, Tyler. What what point did you make that you felt was undervalued? And if you had to vote for Will or Ryan, who would, who would you vote for? Um, most uh, The point that was undervalued, I'm still trying to figure out how I got negative points for mentioning Josh Scott. When saying that Spencer Dinwiddie is isn't the reason that this team goes on, can we can we can we talk about that? Sure. What happened there? Why do I get negative points for mentioning somebody else? No. Well, okay. Yeah. We're not getting there. And uh, I, I'll, I'll say Will should have won because you know he's articulate and it's his job. So. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed tuning in to our first Around the Horn format uh, for Buff Stampede Radio. I think we all had a little bit of fun with this. And next week, we're going to be back with a football edition of this. I think, William, you're going to moderate yep, it next yep, week. Absolutely. And so that'll be fun. In the meantime, uh, Ryan and I are driving out to Salt Lake City to cover Colorado's final football game on Saturday. William, you're going to be down in Colorado Springs for the Air Force Colorado Saturday. game. And then on Tuesday, you'll be up in Fort Collins for the game up there. As will I. Against the Fighting Eustaces and... Uh, I, I, again, I really hope you guys enjoyed this new format. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't like on, on the Stampede Elite Board. And tell me how I screwed up as a moderator. I, I, I don't mind. I got thick skin. so Someone's going to say that I'm an idiot for something. So there you go. That's how it goes. That's part of it. Me, so. <laughs> All right. Well, hey. thanks to Ryan, Will, and Tyler. Thank you, Adam. And uh, appreciate that. And uh, hopefully you guys tune in next week. Thanks. Fun, guys. <laughs>